coming up this hour, we are joined by Aubrey Sampson, and we're going to talk about that difficult story about Ravi Zacharias. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today for our first post-Ian Simpkins show of The Common Good. So and, sad. Uh, it, yes, it is. And so, Ian, if you have been away for a couple of weeks or so, Ian uh, is no longer a part of this, but it's all good because Ian is taking a job in Nashville, Tennessee at just an awesome church down there. So we're excited for him. And so a lot of you have been asking, what is it that we're going to do? What is it that we're going to do? And uh, rather than just talking myself, we thought, let's just have some fun people on the show. And batting first for the next two days, we are joined by Aubrey Sampson. So Aubrey, great to have you. You are the first one on the most Ian comic that, you know, Ian set a high bar and I Uh know Ian, I like Ian, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to raise it and we'll see what happens. We'll see what Ian says. We'll get his feedback. He's not listening. Who are we joking? He doesn't care. He's moved moved on from you, Brian. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's off in Nashville, loving life now. He's hating life right now because he's packing in the midst of snow. Oh, bless his heart. I did send him a text this morning because I saw on Twitter somebody wrote from Nashville. Somebody said it's colder in Nashville right now than in Alaska. Come on. Good luck with that. Have fun. Uh, So a little bit of background. Aubrey is going to be our co-host today. So I'm not going to, it's not like a two hour long interview. That's not what we're doing today. She is going to just chime in and we're going to have some conversations. Uh, But I thought we would start today uh, by getting to know Aubrey a little bit uh, and by uh, just talking about who you are. So let's just start there, Aubrey. Why don't you just introduce yourself? What do you do? Who are you? And uh, so our people can get to know you a little bit. Okay, sure. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'll start with that. So thanks for having me, Brian. Um, My pleasure. My name is Aubrey Sampson. Like you said, my husband and I are church planters in West Chicago. We planted Renewal Church about six years ago now, which feels crazy. So we're over the honeymoon a little bit and into like the real work. It just got real. Um, We have have three sons. So I'm also a mom. I've got a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old and a nine-year-old. Sometimes I forget how old they are. Um, And they're at home doing... I forget all the time. Right? Okay, good. It's not just me. Um, I'm also an author and um, do some speaking around the country. And uh, I'm a grad student, too. I'm like getting to the end of my uh, graduate degree. Finally, I can see the light of the end of the tunnel. So things are uh, full for us at the Samson household, but it's all fun. It's all good. Other than that, what do you have going on? I mean, it sounds like nothing. Gosh, that <laughs> list of stuff is, is kind of crazy. There. Uh, yeah, it's a little insane. I'm sure we won't get into it. Maybe we'll get into it. Maybe we'll get into it tomorrow. Uh, but in a very small world, Aubrey's husband and I went to Wheaton together. And, I feel like uh, we have to get into actually, this at some point. Yeah. behind me. So there are some Kevin Sampson stories that I have told my children that I'm not sure I can tell on air. (laughs) I wonder if my children know the Kevin Sampson stories. It is so true. I think you can ask him this. I think when Kevin visited Wheaton, he stayed on my floor because I was a year ahead of him. And then uh, I was friends with a bunch of football players. And so we spent a lot of time together in college. Kevin, uh, Kevin was a big part of what made Wheaton fun for me. So I'm very excited for that. I and feel now to like see him like an adult is, is yeah, actually, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny because a lot of his friends who knew him when 
will just say things like, wow, we're shocked that you're a pastor. <laughs> or wow, we're surprised that you're a dad who's faithfully married to your wife for 20 years. You know, so I didn't know Kevin Wynn. You probably know more of the wild Kevin than I did, but it does, it does seem like, um, you know, he's grown. He's matured as we all have. <laughs> Good after all these years. Yeah. I enjoyed your husband a lot. So, uh, Yes, maybe. Maybe we'll end tomorrow's show. He's a good guy. Yeah, we should. He's a good guy. I like him. He is. He is. So let me ask you, let's get to know you some more. You have a new book coming out, I see here. Tell us about your new book coming up. Yes. uh, My third book is a book called Known, K-N-O-W-N, Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. Um, My first book was a book called Overcomer, about overcoming the shame of sexual assault um, and um, kind of finding healing through Christ, not kind of finding healing through Christ. And then um, my second book is a book on (laughs) lament (laughs) called the louder song. And so this one is sort of this strange combination of both books. It's like after suffering, after heartache, um, what does God say about you and what does God have for you? So um, kind of a, a book about the names that God speaks over his children, the names that, um, the false names that we kind of name ourselves, the labels that we put on ourselves that are wrong, what God has to say about that. Um, And then moving forward, what does it mean to be called by the name of God in order to go share the name of Jesus with other people? So it's kind of an outward facing book Um, and it comes out in the fall. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I just finished my, okay. That's what I I want to ask. I've never written a book. Oh, okay. Okay. I've never written a book. So what is it like when a book is about to come out? Is it super exciting, (laughs) super nerve wracking when people actually buy the book? Are you surprised? Like, wait, someone's buying the book. What is it like to release a book? That is such a great question. Um, And maybe has a complicated answer. It is like a lot of things. I'll tell you the best part first. Um, For instance, today Mm. I got a, a message on Instagram from a reader who had highlighted portions of my last book and just talked about how God had spoken to her through it. And there is nothing like that, right? When you feel like the, the words that God has given you um, and the work you've done, you put it out and it actually touches a reader. That's like tremendous. That's why you do what you do as a writer. Cause you know, the Lord's using it and that's what matters. Right. Um, But then there's a little bit of angst. You don't want to make it about your identity. You don't want to make it about your ego. But of course, there's a part of you that's like, why is this book selling more than the other? What's the the numbers on Amazon? (laughs) And so you kind of have to do this dance with the Lord that's like, okay, this is yours. I'm going to market it because that's part of my job. But like, God, this is your deal. This isn't Aubrey Samson's deal. So there's a little bit of like sanctification that happens in the middle of it. Um, And then this is going to sound weird, Brian, but... I have found this to be true. And my other author friends have found this to be true. When you put a book into the world, especially a book that I think is about Jesus and like helping advance the kingdom, um, the enemy does not want that to happen. And so weird spiritual attack happens. And that may sound, uh, you know, depending on who's listening, that may sound like woo woo. But really, I mean, I have a good friend who's an author and both of us, we released our books. We got really sick. We had family members get injured. We had, I mean, all just crazy things happen. So you, you have to get a community around you. That's kind of praying up the process so that, um, you just walk yeah. into it, walk into it. Well, wow. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. 
All right, let's close the first segment with this. Uh, speaking of sanctification, how much do you hate the snow? Like, I'm so <laughs> mad right now. Every day, having to go out, and then this morning, and it's like more snow than I've seen in forever, and then it snows again. Yeah. Am I, there's people listening right now. This is the thing that they can agree with the most. Like, no, I hate every minute of this. Yeah. Like the first day it snowed around here, I was like, oh, this is pretty. And right. now I just, if I have to shovel one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Are, am I crazy? Or are you with me on that? Well, okay. I'm going to offer a different perspective because I grew up in the South. And so for me, the snow is still like, oh, okay. it's so fun. And I have three sons who do all the shoveling for me. So then I feel very privileged about the snow. Um, what I don't like is the cold. I This negative, this zero and okay. below stuff, I am not okay with that. So I can agree with you that the temperature <laughs> is, I'm over it. I'm done. I want some sunshine. I want some like oh, warm man. temps. It's bad. It's bad. It is bad. And then, you know, it's this is the time of year where we all go, what am I doing here? But then spring comes and we all forget it. So, <laughs> it's so uh, true. Anyway, we're glad that you're joining us today. It is. It is. We're glad you're joining us today on The Common Good. Again, our first show post Ian and Aubrey Sampson is joining us all day today, all day tomorrow. We couldn't be more thrilled about that. Now, coming up next, we're going to tackle... Uh, a story that came out at the end of last week that, quite honestly, guys, we don't really want to talk to you about. It's uh. really difficult. It's the story of Ravi Zacharias and all that's been going on there. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. We are joined again in our first post-Ian Simkin show. Ian is no longer part of the common good as he prepares to move down and take a new pastor job down in Tennessee. We're thrilled to be joined by Aubrey Sampson today. Uh, and uh, Aubrey, I've made it through two segments and both times in my head, I can hear myself saying alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. It's going to take me a long <laughs> oh, time here. Oh, it's like uh, in your soul. Just, it's so sad. Uh, that has more to do with being a creature of habit right there. <laughs> <laughs> more than it is your attachment so, to Ian necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, we are thrilled to have Aubrey with us. If you're like, oh, who is she? Aubrey is an author. She's a pastor. She's a mom, a wife, uh, a carpooler, all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> a carpooler. Yep, I am. All sorts of different places. Yep. Yep. So uh, you can find her uh, and, I, and I'd encourage you to pick up her books uh, and all of that. But Aubrey, we're thrilled to have you today, tomorrow. Uh, and then we'll just keep asking you back until you say no. So, so I love we'll, it. Uh, so we'll excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Well, that may turn, that may change after this segment. Because, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, if you've been with us at all over the first two years of the common good, you know, uh, that Ian and I have constantly said things like, I wish I didn't have to do this story, but we mm. feel like part of our role is to, uh, just be honest about the yeah. church and about evangelicalism yeah. and and have honest conversations. And we've heard from many of you out there, your thankfulness for that. But I, I feel like every time we've talked about James McDonald, Bill Hybels, Carl Lentz, John McCarthy, name them, yeah. we've always started it going, I don't really want to uh. have this conversation right now, but we feel like it is important to do it. And over the weekend, or maybe at the end of last week, I and mean, I think it was Friday, the report came out yeah. uh, uh, about Ravi Zacharias's ministry, Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Um, and again, let me just give you all a little bit of background, because uh, I'll never forget Ravi Zacharias, when he passed away, I came on this show 
and talked about the influence that he not only had over many people, but myself included. Right, right. We all have a Ravi Zacharias story. Yeah. Uh, if you've been in the church for long enough, he is like the most well-known apologist, which yeah. is kind of the, another church word for defender of the faith. How do I debate people and answer people's hard questions? And prolific speaker, prolific writer, and he yeah. passed away from cancer, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and the bouquets came flying out. What a lot of us didn't know was that there was an investigation going on behind the scenes of... Um, some alleged abuse against Ravi Zacharias. And I'll never forget when that first came out going, man, I really hope this isn't true. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I know. Me too. So, and, and the final report came out uh, just over the weekend or on Friday. And it, to be honest with you, it was worse than a lot of us thought it could yeah, be. It was. And, and without diving into the details too much about uh, it was uh, sexual immorality. It was literally owning spas uh, in which there was, I don't know, prostitution going on or at least heading down that road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just some really dark, dark stuff over yeah. years. It wasn't like, oh man, Zacharias messed up one time. And it was across the globe. Across the globe over decades. Yeah. Uh, basically, what came out was this kind of um, pillar of the faith uh, was not who we thought he was. Yeah. And, and, and so. Here's what I want to do, Aubrey. I, I want to get into next segment. So let's not do it on this part. Next segment, I want to ask you the question, does this mean we shouldn't read his books anymore? So don't mm. go down that path. Okay. Now, I want to have that conversation next segment. Okay. But I would love to know, and you warned me, like, uh, uh, you might not want to hear it. I would just like to know, I, I kind of processed there, kind of how yeah. I felt. And I'll never forget when he died, I got on this show and talked and talked and talked about mm. uh, just the pillar of evangelicalism and just right. the role he played all this stuff. Right. And so this is just like, you've got to be kidding me. So yeah. let me give you the floor as you've read the Ravi Zacharias stuff. Yeah. And maybe you have more to add from the story, but I'm just, I'm just more, how do you process that? How are you processing all yeah. the things you've read? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I sat, I guess it was Friday that uh, his, his ministry finally published their report. And then Christianity Today uh, wrote an article about it. I sat, my kids were home doing e-learning. I locked myself in the bathroom and I bawled my eyes out. Um, and I did not have a, wow. I did not have a personal connection to Ravi like you did. Although, of course, I've heard him speak and would have said what a great sure. apologist, what a great uh, pillar of our faith. Um, I think... My heartache, I mean, I'm a victim of sexual assault. So I will say some reading some of the reports triggered me personally. So I can't deny that my personal experience is part of my reaction. I will say, Brian, I am absolutely done with any spiritual, any sexism disguised as spirituality. I'm done. I'm done with women not being treated like they're human beings. I'm done with women in the church who are the Imago Dei not being treated like they're human beings. I'm done with women not being believed. And the fact that this may, I mean, women came forward and yet they weren't believed. And this man, I know, I know a lot, a lot of people are heartbroken over him. So I want to be sensitive to that. They feel like their hero has fallen. I want to be sensitive to that. But this man, what, you know, was not just like a fallen pastor or a or a flawed guy. He was a serial, allegedly a serial rapist in instances. He was a wolf in right. sheep's clothing. He was right. a predator. 
So we were all blindsided by it. We all fell for it. I think just some, I'm angry. That's the bottom line. I'm angry. I'm over it. I'm tired of these stories. I'm glad they're coming out because I feel like the Lord is doing some house cleaning and I will, I'll be the first to say, Hey, if you saw the inside of my heart, there'd be some house cleaning that needed to happen. But at the end of the day, this is different. This is not an anomaly. Like this is a pattern and um, something has to change. Yeah. I'd love to know when you say the Lord is doing some house cleaning, because as I said, we've done all these stories of yeah. power after abuse of power. Yeah. Sometimes it's abuse of women. Sometimes it's abuse of money. Sometimes yep. it's abu- it's all abuse of power and power yep. is kind of the thing. When you say the Lord is doing work, maybe unpack that a little bit for our people. They might be like, what does she mean by that? Yeah. What does she mean by that? That might be my sassy anger talking. I, you know what I think? <laughs> the, I think the power dynamic is a problem. I will say reading that article, um, I think it's a it's the David French article, right? You are no, no, no. Which article are we talking about, mm-hmm. Brian? You are one step away from complete and total insanity. That was David we French. Love on this show at the yeah, um, his article, and then the Christianity Today article and the Ravi Zacharias report. The thing that stuck out to me was the secrecy, and I think maybe that's what I mean—that the Lord is mm-hmm. cleaning house. He's bringing stuff out of the darkness. The fact that he wouldn't um, hand mm. his, allegedly wouldn't hand his. Uh, electronic devices over to his team for accountability. The fact that a lot of this stuff did happen in secrecy and same with Carl Lenz and same with James McDonald. There are these secret lives that these pastors led. And that to me is just like, I mean, I was reading Romans this morning where (laughs) Paul is saying like, uh, the things you're doing in secret, the Lord's going to judge you in Jesus Christ. And of course we know there's grace and we know there's restoration, but like, I feel like the secrecy, especially when you're at that level of leadership, something, something's got to give there. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What I do think, you think? Uh, this David French article, he, and I think you're a hundred percent right. I do think that on some level, there's a reckoning over power. And on some level, on another level, a lot of these people who have fallen, whenever they decide to get back in the game, they seem to be able to get right back in the That's game, it. Which, uh, which is disheartening. Yes. Is really disheartening. Let me close by what David French says here. David French says, there is no degree of greatness that can overcome our lawlessness, but there is also another scripture that applies, one that provides a profound promise of God's justice and God's mercy, even in the worst of days. He quotes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not prevailed. It will not prevail. So that's that's David French's article. And we're just touching on it. We're actually in the second hour. We're going to have Julie Royce on. She's done a lot of work, investigative work around this story. Julie's going to join us in the second hour. Uh, But give this David French article a read. If you've been with the show long enough, you know David French writes really long stuff that is really worth reading. So go ahead and check that out. Coming up next, I do want to ask another, as I mentioned before, I want to ask this question. Should we get rid of all of Ravi Zacharias's books? Should we question. never listen to a lecture of his again? We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us today. And again, if you're just jumping in, uh, as a reminder, this is our first show of our next season of The Common Good as the last two plus years, it's been myself and Ian Simpkins. Ian uh, took a job at a great church down in Nashville uh, called The Bridge. Uh, and Ian will be moving there, obviously, with his family at the end of February. So he is done here on The Common Good. Uh, and it, we ended in a great way. A lot of fun. 
Uh, and uh, but now the question is, what's next? And a lot of you are asking that. And we'll, our basic premise has been, we'll let you know what you know. <laughs> and in the meantime, bringing on various co-hosts that we're super excited about. And the first one out of the gate yes. uh, today and tomorrow is Aubrey Sampson. And so we are thrilled to have Aubrey with us. And Aubrey's jumping into the deep end. I am here and like, we're not messing around, are we, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Why why would we take our time, you know? Really, really. Last segment, we talked about this really hard story uh, around Ravi Zechariah's International Ministries. uh, The report they just released on Friday detailing just the the depraved, uh, sexual immorality of Ravi Zacharias and kind of this double life he was leading for decades. And if it's just terrible and you can read about it at our Facebook page, you can listen to the last segment where Aubrey and I just kind of talked about how ugly it is yeah. and the struggle with the abuse of power that seems to be going on in evangelicalism amongst many, uh, you know, many different pastors. So yeah. that we've talked about the years here. And again, we're going to talk more. It's such a huge story that we wanted to dedicate some time to it. So we're going to talk more about that story in the second hour with Julie Royce. Uh, Julie has done a lot of work on this story. Uh, but Aubrey, kind of a side tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Christianity Today, we read this. Ravi Zacharias's books pulled by Harper Collins. It says the biggest Christian publisher in the United States will no longer offer resources by the late Ravi Zacharias following the final report of an investigation confirming his years, years-long pattern of abuse and is working with at least one prominent author to remove Zacharias from other works. HarperCollins Christian Publishing, which includes Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, had published more than 20 titles authored, co-authored, or edited by Zacharias over a 26-year span, including Can Man Live Without God, which has been released in 21 languages. But now they go on to detail that HarperCollins is no longer going to, uh, they've pulled all the books. They've yeah. pulled Ravi Zacharias's books. Uh, uh, Lee Strobel said that he is rewriting Case for Faith to take Ravi Zacharias out of it. Yeah. And if you've ever, if you've ever YouTubed Ravi Zacharias, there is, you can't, you don't have enough time in a right. week to watch all the Ravi Zacharias right. videos out right. there, sermons, everything. And so let me ask you, uh, a question I've been wrestling with mm-hmm. and, and a question that we've wrestled with with each of these, right? Mm-hmm. We did this again with the James McDonald story. We said, should you still listen to his sermons? Yeah. Bill Hybels. Uh, uh, you know, we just kind of keep going one after another. And now it's Ravi Zacharias, who for many people, these books have been so important. These, yeah. these seminars he's done or these debates he's done have been so important. And so with that as the background, Aubrey, you're an author, you're a yeah. pastor, you think yeah. about things. Yeah. Should we, does Ravi Zacharias's lifestyle that none of us knew about mm-hmm. disqualify him, not just from he's dead now, but if he weren't dead from, from future ministry, but should that cause us to disregard uh, his past works, his right. books, right. his speaking and other right. things? How do you wrestle with that topic? Um, I will say, I think it's a complicated question. Um, I will say I tend to uh, especially in cases like these, I tend to just say, well, what matters for the victim? Um, more than I think what matters for the brand of Ravi Zacharias. Um, because there wasn't restoration and it happened after, you know, the stuff came out after he died. Um, if this was a one-time thing and there was some restoration, he had been through a process of accountability. He had come out with the truth. He had 
Um, but there wasn't restoration. And the pattern of it, the proclivity of it, the criminality of it, to me, I'm like, here, here, HarperCollins, you take it off the shelf. Because at the end of the day, we don't need to be giving our God's money, the money that the Lord has blessed us with. We don't need to be sacrificing on Ravi's altar by buying his stuff anymore. Now, I know that sounds harsh. And I know the other side of the argument is like, well, what about the sinners in the Bible? What about, you know, but even like you take David, Nathan held David accountable and David responded. And I know we're all sinners. I understand all that. We're not talking about flawed or flaws or sin here. We're talking about a criminality. The man was a serial rapist. And so I think it's a different category. It's a different category of conversation than maybe a pastor who like messed up, but he's, he's been, or she's been restored. There's been a journey. There's accountability. There's people around saying, yes, restoration has happened. God, the Holy spirit has really renewed this person. That's not this case. And um, I know all truth is God's truth. So I'm sure the man, I know the man did tremendous things for the gospel. Can we align that with the fact that like, was he living for the gospel? I don't know. It's a hard question. It's hard. Jeff Crosby, publisher. It is. The publisher of InterVarsity Press, he told uh, Christianity Today, as a publisher, when a pastor author has been critically credibly accused of or acknowledged wrongdoing in her or his leadership context, I believe we have an obligation to take the time to carefully and thoughtfully discern whether the published works should continue to be made available and act on what we discern, even if it means lost revenue. And so that's the publisher of InterVarsity Press wrestling with that question. You used the term restoration, Aubrey. Let me ask you, apart from Robbie Zacharias, because yeah. his is a really complicated situation because he's dead. It right. all came out after right. he passed away. Right. Right. Well, Ian and I talk a lot about pastors and their restoration. Yeah. So sexual sin or yeah. seeing other pastors because of anger, other stuff. And some of them get right back into ministry. Others of them take a long time. Some of them we never hear from again. Yeah. What do you think? What makes you comfortable? What does restoration look mm-hmm. like for, a, say, a pastor who's yeah. fallen, who's had lots of sermons out there, lots of books, yeah. very well-known. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what makes you feel comfortable in the uh, what you call, the, and I think accurately so, the restoration process? Yeah. I mean, that's a hard question. I don't, I don't necessarily think it always means you're restored to a role on a church staff. Um, and I think that's okay. I think restoration can happen between that person and the Lord and their community. Um, without them having to, you know, be on a church payroll. Um, I, I think, yeah. I, I think it has to happen in their specific embodied community, right? So like whoever it is needs to be able to step back in with their local church and their family and their neighbors. What does restoration look like? It probably means some therapy. It probably needs some majorly accountability, maybe reparations in some cases. I just know, too, I just did a research project on women in ministry. And I'm coming at this again as a female pastor. But for women who are who fall, they don't get restored, period. Uh, Men do. And so I think that's another piece of the conversation is why are we okay restoring men, but we're not okay restoring women and and. What does God say about restoration? We see the Lord restore Peter. We see Jesus like give him a chance to come back and then build his church on him. So we know restoration in Jesus name is possible. Um, Right. 
I just don't think it can happen online. I don't think it can happen. It has to happen in the person's community and body. What do you think, Brian? I'm talking a lot. What do you think? No, this is, people have heard me talk about this. I think anytime you see it happen quickly, that's a problem. I agree wholeheartedly. And and anytime it's about reintroducing somebody's brand or somebody's, that's a problem. When I've seen some, even, even celebrity pastors, but when you see pastors and you don't hear from them a long time, that's a good sign. I agree. They're coming underneath somebody else. But I also think as we close, you said something really important. The end goal can't be, I get my pulpit back. That's it. It might, you might get your pulpit back. It can't be the end goal. Yeah. All right, I got to put in my time. The, the end goal has to be restoration. And re- yeah. that might be restoration to, <laughs> you know, some unknown job that yes. you're doing, or it might be restoration back in the pastoral ministry. Uh, but I think that's important. And the last thing I'll say is this, I think, uh, when you talked about there being a reckoning, I wonder if one of the biggest reckonings is just the insidious nature of celebrity culture with mm, evangelicalism. It's a great it's question, just, Brian. It's just so difficult to even, so often it's the celebrity pastor that we see fall where no restoration takes place. And this yep. and Robin yep. Zacharias is another example of celebrity culture. So, so much to talk about there. We would love your opinion on this. So go to our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show, also Twitter and Instagram. That's at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we're going to get off this Robbie uh, Zachariah story for a little bit. Uh, Aubrey and I both have kids. We both have kids in school. So we want to talk about uh, remote learning. And this from NBC News, remote students are more stressed than their peers in the classroom study shows. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey's going to be with us today and tomorrow. Uh, some of you might pick, oh, and then Ian will be back. No, Ian is no longer going to be on The Common Good as he is uh, moving to Tennessee. Good gonna, old Tennessee. Oh, man, him and the rest of the church world, right? Everyone's Seriously, moving everyone's there. moving there. I joked with Ian that somebody, a friend of mine from down there said, it's not the Bible Belt, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's good. That's uh, good. It is really funny. So uh, thrilled to have Aubrey with us today. It's going okay, right? You're, you're doing okay here? We're, uh, I mean, I expected. feel like... I feel like, see ya, Ian. Like, (laughs) someone else has taken over your microphone, buddy. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) Ian who? Yeah, who dis? Um, No, it's going great, Brian. You are leading the way. You're helping me feel comfortable. I've seen your dog in the background on video, so I feel like we're tight now. Yes, there we go. There we go. So uh, thrilled to have you all joining us today. As we mentioned at the beginning, uh, Aubrey and I are both parents. uh, Yep with kids doing the craziest school years any of us could ever imagine. So I mean, I know before we jump into this, what are the ages of your kids? What are the grades of your kids? Great question. Uh, okay. I've got an eighth grader. So we're moving into high school next mm-hmm. year. He is 14. I've got a fifth grader. So moving into middle school next year, he's <laughs> 11. And then I have a third grader who's nine. So next year is my year with elementary, middle and high school all in one fell swoop. Yes. We have that this year in the Fromm house. I have a, a uh, 17-year-old who is a junior in, in high school. Uh, out where I live in Downers Grove, uh, elementary school goes through sixth grade. So my son okay. is in seventh grade. He's a 13-year-old. He is in seventh grade, so middle school this year. Uh, and then my daughter is 11, and she is a sixth grader. So she's in her last year of elementary school. So, of course, the only year where you can <laughs> at, where we will have three kids in three different schools, of course, is the COVID year. Uh. Um, 
but but it's a crazy year as we've talked about on this yeah, show before. Uh, my kids, uh, three different schools. They're doing three different things right now. My elementary school daughter is in school, except for today because of the snow. She's okay. in school five days a week. Oh wow! Uh, okay, but for like two and a half hours a day. So she, oh. gets, she goes in at eight twenty and gets uh, her. She leaves at ten fifty, comes home, eats lunch, and then does the rest of the day at home. My son. Okay. Uh, my son is in. Uh, how's this work? One week, it'll be two days a week. And then the next week is three days a week. So alternate two days and three days in the middle school. Not at all complicated. I know. But on the days he goes, he's there for a long time. He's there from like 8.30 until 1 o'clock. Okay. Uh, and then my high schooler is there four days a week, uh, but they split the school in half. And so you're either there in the morning or you're there in the afternoon. Yes. And all okay. of them, you do hybrid the rest of the day. You do online, wow. I should say, remote. The rest of the day. So it's just crazy, but at least they're in school. You were telling yes. me off air that your kids have only just begun to go back to school. Isn't that right? They have just in the last two weeks. I mean, they literally were only, I think this is our third week of back in school school. Of course, today they didn't have school because right. of the weather, but, and they're only going back two days a week right now. So it's kind of similar to what you said. They, they rotate days. So summer in group A, summer in group B. Of course, my kids are not all on the same day. Oh, so we're no. still like oh, trying to no. figure out like what day does who go where, what, you know, I mean, it's still complicated, but I am grateful that uh, they're back, that the teachers are being so amazing um, because I see in their hearts and in their souls, how good it is for them to be with their friends again. Yes. yes. It's, it's so true Like I've been a big proponent and we've done in, articles about this. And we're going to do another one here in a second. I've been just such a proponent that like the more school they can have, the better. Like yeah. it's, uh, there's just so many studies out there right now about the mental health of kids. And so let me tell you about this study. It's, this is at NBC News. It says remote students are more stressed than peers in the classroom. New study shows it says a new study from NBC News and challenge success a nonprofit affiliated with the Stanford Graduate School of Education is one of the first to shed light on the differences between students whose classes have been exclusively online and those who've been able to attend in person at least one day per week. Uh, the student, the study last fall of more than 10,000 students in 12 U.S. high schools found that students who'd spent time in the classroom reported lower weight rates of stress and worry than their online peers. Well, wow. just over half of all students surveyed said they were more stressed about school in 2020 than they had been previously. The issue was much more pronounced among remote students. Wow. 84% of remote students reported exhaustion, headaches, insomnia, yeah. or other stress-related ailments compared to 82% of students who were in the classroom on some days and 78% of students who were in the classroom full time. And so let me just pause there, Aubrey. You and I, we just talked about the kids that we mm -hmm. have and your kids have been really online. Yeah. Two part question. Have you seen this in your kids? Like, I don't mm. want you to get too deep into sure. your family, but have you seen this with your kids primarily remote? Uh, and what have you and Kevin, your husband done to try to mitigate this? What, yeah. what is the, what is this kind of time period? How have you guys had to change your parenting in this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, without saying too much, I will say this has been really, really hard on one of my kids. Mm -hmm. And so everything, even you just reading that article, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Um, he has had a difficult time. We've noticed changes in behaviors. We've noticed changes in personality. So we've done, I mean, you know, we've done the due diligence of talking to the school social worker. We've met with his pediatrician. 
Last night, I even just said, hey, bud, let's me and you go out to dinner. We're just going to have mommy-son date night just to really try to connect with him. I have a friend who's a child uh, therapist, and so she's given me some ideas just to really connect with him. Um, But I, I do think the reality of not just, you know, it's like the pandemic. It's being in front of a screen constantly. It's yeah. not being with friends. It's it's all just coming to a to a head. And like I'm feeling, I'm over it. But I, <laughs> yes. I but I'm not I'm not in front of a screen for eight hours a day. Yep. Uh, removed from my people, you know. So I um I uh, I worry. I'm so like I said, I'm so grateful they're back at least a couple days a week because I am. I mean, they even come back. You know, like last year, two years ago, they'd be like, "School, we hate school. School's mm-hmm. so boring." But now they're like, this, "We can't wait to go to school again." Yeah, yeah. That later on in the article, it says educators worry about the long term impact on a generation of children who are stressed out, struggling mm-hmm. to learn, and missing their friends. You know, it says you took away sports, you took away interactions. Yeah. It's kind of like kids are in jail now when they're 100% online, which I think is a, a bit of an overstatement. Right, uh, right. But it also shines a light on what we as parents can be doing. So I want you to let's close the segment this way, Aubrey. Uh, what would you say to the parent out there who's going, Yeah, you know what? I feel like my kid is really struggling. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like my kid is crumbling and I don't know what to do. What would you say, not to the kid who's listening, but to the parent right now who's listening, who's seeing that in their kid? Yeah. You know, I I think obviously if it's severe, I would take a step to call the school social worker, school Mm -hmm. psychiatrist. But I think like do things like around the dinner table, let give them space to talk about what they're sad about, what they're angry about, what they're mad about. I have three sons. They don't always want to talk about their feelings, (laughs) right? But they're willing to say, I really miss my friends. I really miss. So I think just allowing them to verbalize some of those things is part of the grief that we're all, the grief journey we're all on right now. And then, um, like I said, for us, it's been important to have some special routines, some special rhythms where we're just connecting with them as people, like looking in their eyes, giving them hugs, connecting with them one-on-one away from a screen, away from their phones, um, and trying to just like, hey, we're real people here. Let's all just keep engaging with one another. Yeah. And what's it last? Yeah. I got like 30 seconds left, but what's it been like for you as a working mom, just trying to balance yeah. all of this? So that's the other thing I was going to say. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, I have had to step back um, from a lot of my responsibilities because we needed an adult at home. Mm-hmm. And I would say the majority of my working mom friends, it's been that situation where just for whatever reason, it had, it made more sense for the woman to stay at home than for the man to. And that was true in our situation. And so it's been hard. It's been it's been challenging. It's been an adjustment. In some ways, I love the privilege of being home with my kids. Mm-hmm. I recognize it is a privilege. In another way, I feel like I miss my adult life. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing, Brian, I know we're wrapping up this segment, but what worries me really is I know there's a whole segment of missing kids or yeah. lost kids yep. who like no one can find, who no one can access, who aren't getting any education. And I worry about those really vulnerable kids. There's no doubt about that. Even in our schools out here, my some of my kids are like, yeah, where's this one kid? Nobody has seen him. Like yeah. all year, and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, how does that even happen? And then you start hearing stories of of schools in the inner city or out here. It's just, it's it is heartbreaking and something that I think many books will be written on, many studies will be done. Definitely, uh, that's true. Going forward, so uh, wanted to do that segment because some of you out there are just struggling, and so you wanted to hear us say as well. Yeah, it's hard. It's We're hard. Struggling too. We're with you. We're struggling too. You can find this article from NBC News. Find it up at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, the first hour is in the books. 
Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about kids, but but what about politics? And this article from NBC News that says, stop politicizing your children. Uh, that is going to come up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we continue to be joined by guest host Aubrey Sampson. We're going to talk about to not politicize our children. And then we're joined by veteran investigative reporter Julie Royce. You are listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow uh, by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, so excited to, to be you. here. Yeah, yep. this is fun. Love this it. Fun. Give a very quick brief yes. who you are and especially the book that's coming out soon. Yep. I am a church planter with my husband in West Chicago, a mom of three boys, and I'm an author and a speaker. My next book called Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything will be out in the fall. It's really a book about um, the way we name ourselves, the names that God has for us, and then what it means for us to move forward in Jesus' name as people who share his name with other people. So it's kind of a book on naming, a book on identity, and a book on vocation. Mm. That sounds fabulous. And when, I'm sorry, I just missed it. When's it coming out again? Um, I keep saying the fall because I don't know the exact gotcha, uh, gotcha. launch date yet, but it'll be a great date in the fall. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, yeah, tomorrow you're going to be on. We'll have to talk about your church a little bit and church planting. And we did share in the first segment, in the first hour, I should say, that Aubrey's husband, Kevin, and I, Kevin has been on the show. Yep. Uh, but more importantly, Kevin and I went to Wheaton together. We have many stories that probably shouldn't be told on air, but maybe yeah, they the, will the be. Population doesn't need to know all of that. Maybe there's a few like G rated, but maybe share. they will yeah. be told tomorrow. <laughs> I might just turn off your mic tomorrow and just start telling them that you can't do anything about it. <laughs> I have no power. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, we are thrilled that Aubrey's joining us today. And uh, one of the things we're trying to do today, we we talked a lot about the Ravi Zachariah story, just a heartbreaking story uh, uh, in the first hour. Coming up next segment and the one following, Julie Royce, uh, investigative reporter, is going to join us to talk more about that story, but also try to step back and, and kind of the bigger picture of what's going on in evangelicalism yeah. as well. Uh, but we can't have you on, Aubrey, without talking a little bit of politics. And uh, Ian and I, it's been fun to have a show uh, during a pandemic and one, one of the most contentious uh, political <laughs> seasons any of us have ever put up with. Yeah. Uh, but, but what I did want to talk about was this really interesting article I found, this opinion piece at NBC News that doesn't talk so much about politics, but talks about children, our kids. Yes. And you and I, we shared in the last hour that you and I both have kids. Uh, my kids are a little bit older than yours, but, but they're both in this range of what this yep. article is talking about. What do we talk about around our kids? What are we doing when it comes to politics around our kids? So let me just read a, a little bit of this. Uh, and then we'll we'll have a little discussion. It says, yet for my kids, he the author talks about how when he was a kid, it wasn't about politics at all. And he goes on to say, yet for my kids, politics confronts and defines them everywhere mm -hmm. they turn. Goes on to say, when my nine-year-old daughter made a new friend at the pool this summer, she skipped over to me in delight to share the exciting news. But as she walked away, my teenage son warned, you know, they're Trumpers. It's not just my teenagers <laughs> warning me away from, quote, Trumpers either. Rarely a day passes without my 10 and 12-year-old daughters coming home with a political comment on their lips. Yeah. 
When I ask my daughters about school, my 10-year-old tells me about the comics she and her friends are creating during recess, but also the boy who yelled Blue Lives Matters to her African-American friend at snack time uh. and the kids who have Trump 2020 slogans as their profile pictures on uh, Google Meets for their class. There's no doubt that some of this political politicization comes from external sources like the 24-7 media environment they've grown up with, in which news of every partisan denominator is available in their palm, or a culture in which advertising, not to mention football games and award shows, take on political dimensions. It's not surprising that a natural obsession with politics would trickle into the classroom and onto the playground. But the author goes on to say, but there's also no doubt that as the country has become more polarized, Parents have contributed to the environment our children now find themselves in. Wow. And that they need to stop. Uh, hmm. So that's the author. Here. I'm just curious. Do you think this author is not only correct, but do you think the author is right in your opinion, Aubrey, that, that <sighs> the parents are doing this to their kids and the and, and parents need to stop it? What yeah. do you think about that statement? Yeah. I Okay. Do I agree that parents are doing that to their kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Probably true, especially mm-hmm. this year. Um, of all years. Do I think they need to stop? I don't know if I agree with that because I think it is our job as parents. I mean, our kids are being inundated by politics right now. My kids, for instance, are in a multi-ethnic school. There's a lot of opinions. Uh, There's a lot of fear, especially when Trump was first elected. And so my kids had friends who were devastated by his election. So my kids Mm. come home, so-and-so is crying all day, mom. What's that about? So when they're asking the questions as a parent, I don't want to be like, oh, don't let's not talk about politics. Don't ask those questions. I want to equip my kids with the ability to ask good questions of politics, like Mm. not slander a person or not slander a person. But what matters? What are the issues? Why do we why do you think that way? Why does your friend think that way? So I think it's an opportunity for us at the right age level to equip our kids to begin to think about the world around them and equip them like in the best way to form political opinions that honor God. Mm. I don't know. What do you think? So this is really interesting. In my house, we've begun, my my kids are a little bit older. And so they've begun forming their opinions, especially my older daughter uh, from school and stuff. And so we've had to be very intentional about political discussions. Yet at the same time, I I get what what this article is getting at. Like uh, we have a a close family uh, friend, we'll say, let me just say, we'll call it that way, um, (laughs) to which our kids overheard us. And and some other families talking about them and their politics, right? Okay. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Okay, I'm forming them to have a bad opinion about a friend of ours, mm. like by talking about their politics. So I think you're a hundred percent right that we need to help our kids form. Somebody's going to form their worldview That's when it, it comes to politics. So That's we it. have to be the ones to do it, and we hope yeah. the church will or the school, you know. But but it really starts in your house. We have to do that. Where I think we need to be careful is how we talk about people. I'm going to use air quotes if you can see me on the other side. Who think differently. That's exactly. it. Exactly. So how yeah. do we help them process? Because our culture is terrible at this oh, right now. Awful. So how do I help my kids or how do you help your kids go? OK, uh, maybe we're a family that didn't support President Trump. But can I be friends with the kid up the street whose parents have are wearing Make America Great Again hat? Right. Can I or mom and dad? Am I not allowed to? Are they our enemy or do we just disagree? I think that's where I would make the difference with this article. We have to form their worldview and how to think politically because somebody's going to. But we also have to help them understand uh, the role of politics as it comes to friendships or neighbors 
uh, or the church. Does that make yeah, sense? That, you think I'm I right think about that's that? a, no, I think that's absolutely right. We have to teach them in these conversations how to uh, like First Thessalonians five says how to honor each other and build each other up in the middle of disagreement, right? Yeah. Because there's there's some beauty in the diversity amongst our political beliefs. But we do. We have to equip them and then teach them to love, right? Because that's. I feel like that's what has been missing in all of these public discourses. Mm-hmm. We are forgetting that they're like real human beings who hold these views yeah. with real stories, and and reasons why they hold the political views they do that really matter to them and to their family. And so let's uh, remember that we're people, but let's not shy away from like giving our kids good wisdom yeah. when it comes to this stuff, especially like you said, Brian, you're exactly right. Someone's going to form them. <laughs> yes. You know, might as well be like the parents who love them and love Jesus. Yeah, it's absolutely true because, uh, you know, I've got my uh, fears is the wrong word, but I have my disagreements with some of the stuff, you know, my kids might learn in school or whatever, yeah. but I'm not going to yeah. be one of these people who's like blaming the schools for forming my kids into that's X it. or Y. Like that's, that's absolutely part of it. Right. But guess what? I could talk to them about it. Yeah. <laughs> we could have that conversation. Uh, so a really important article, I feel like it's up at our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Uh, tell us where we're right. Tell us where we're wrong. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear back from you. Well, coming up next, uh, a special guest, Julie Royce, for the next two segments. Julie is a, a investigative reporter and founder of the Royce Report. Uh, we're going to talk to her about uh, the Ravi Zacharias, uh, all that's been going on with him, and some other things in evangelicalism. That's coming up next with Julie Royce here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by Aubrey Sampson. It's our first show without Ian Simpkins as he prepares to move down to a new job down in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're thrilled to have Aubrey with us uh, today and tomorrow at least. So look, we're very glad for that. Uh, and we are also thrilled to be joined on the line by Julie Royce. Julie is a, uh, an investigative reporter and more importantly, for the sake of our show, Julie, I was telling you off air, reminding you, uh, the very first show that Ian and I ever did together, you were our very first guest. So there feels like some really good symmetry here this to have this spin back circle. around. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, Julie, well, thanks I'm for glad joining to join us. You. Uh, Julie, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience just so they can get to know you a little bit? Sure. Well, um, a lot of Chicagoans probably know me from my radio days with Moody Radio. I had a, a talk show there for about 10 years. And um, then uh, kind of through a very unusual turn of events, uh, blew the whistle on some stuff and ended up on a totally different career path, um, which is investigative reporting. And really, <laughs> I felt called to just this whole uh, reporting the truth about what's really going on within the church, which I don't think there's been very much investigative Mm -hmm. reporting within the church uh, historically. And I think we've suffered from that because we've seen a lot of uh, ministries where there hasn't been accountability, there hasn't been transparency. And so I think it's it's an important niche that uh, the Lord has called me to, to reporting on some of these things. But I have also seen sort of more of that happening throughout evangelicalism, realizing that we need that sort of thing. So uh, for the past about three years, I launched something called the Roy's Report and uh, been reporting uh, all sorts of news about what's going on in the church. And um, it's been a very interesting ride and I really love doing it. Love um, (laughs) bringing light where in sometimes there's been darkness. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Julia, let me ask you this. Uh, before we get into the specifics, we want to talk about Ravi Zacharias and some other things with you. Uh, but before that, you said something really interesting, that this wasn't something that people were doing beforehand uh, and that you feel like it's important to bring truth out and kind of bring bring things into the light. Uh, let me just play devil's advocate. There's probably some people out there going, why would we want that? Why do we want people to see the warts of the church? Why would we want people uh, isn't that hurting the message of the church? I'm sure these are all things you've heard, and I would just love to hear how you answer those. I've seen you on social media. People are saying this to you all the time. Uh, so how do you answer that as people are like, ah, maybe if we just kept this in house, it would be a little bit better? Yeah, it's interesting. Somebody made that comment recently, like, do we really need to talk about this? And somebody said, you know, if protecting the church means suppressing the truth, then we probably have an issue in the church. I mean, Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Or 1 Timothy 5.20 says that if you have an elder who is sinning, that you're supposed to publicly expose him. Why? So that others may stand in fear. There is qualifications for being in Christian ministry. And I think we've sometimes been so afraid of what the world will think of us if they see some of these things that are happening. But I think what's even worse is to allow wrongdoing and corruption and abuse to go on in the church and to not expose it and to not deal with it. We don't, we don't deal, we don't have a gospel that says, Hey, with your sin, just bury it and it'll be okay. We have a gospel that says, if you have sin, you bring it into the light, (laughs) you confess it, and then you receive forgiveness, right? I mean, that's the gospel. And I think we need to apply that more broadly in the way that we run our churches and our ministries. Julie, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I love your work. I appreciate that you are really standing in a gap that uh, I wish the gap didn't exist, but I'm glad Mm. that you are standing in it. Um, So thank you for your courage. Thank you for doing the work that you do. Um, I just listened to your conversation with Shirley Stewart, which uh, was a heartbreaking story Mm. about um, her experience with uh, Ravi Zacharias, who we've been talking about over the course of the last hour. And how he encouraged her, even pressured her to get an abortion when she was pregnant with his son's baby. Um, You know, anyone who wants to can listen to that episode. But I just wondered for you why it felt like it was important to share that story. Yeah, it actually wasn't his son. It's Ravi's brother, Ramesh. Excuse me, brother. Yeah, yeah, but he's, he's quite a bit younger. And so when Ramesh was a teenager... And uh, Shirley Stewart was, I think, 17 years old. I think Ramesh was a a little bit older. He might have been uh, early 20s, but um, they had a relationship and Shirley got pregnant. And what happened was, as you know, you might do, you go to an older sibling in a situation like that. But especially with Ravi, he was an up and coming preacher at the time. And Ramesh, his younger brother, really looked up to him. And so uh, Shirley described what happened was they got on a call with uh, Ravi and asked for his advice. And here he is, a, a pastor, a preacher in the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. And he told them, uh, according to Shirley, that she needed to get an abortion. She needed to terminate this pregnancy. And, you know, that might have been really, really shocking um, a month ago, I think it's less right. shocking or six months ago. Very, very shocking. Yeah. But I think it's it's less and less shocking as we're finding out more about who the person Ravi Zacharias really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was something where Shirley has lived. This happened in 1974. So of about 47 uh, years. She's lived with this this awful secret. Um, mm-hmm. She went ahead with that abortion and then she ended up 
having what she thinks was a complication, which left her sterile for the rest of her life. She has lived, yeah, with just the devastating consequences of this. And yet when she would see Ravi up up on stage or when he came to a nearby town, um, she would go and talk to the pastors and say, this is what, this is who Ravi really is. This is what he told me to do. And this is what I ended up doing. And it's devastated my life. And she would be called a liar for that. And so her whole life, she's lived mm. with these devastating consequences of a decision that that she feels like she never even had the choice. She was 17 years old. Um, apparently, her parents were talked to um, by Ramesh, who said, hey, my, my brother, who, again, he was a visiting preacher in their church uh, and would come there. So her parents really looked up to Ravi as well. And so they took his advice and they said, OK, this is the best thing to do. And. She's been called a liar her whole life for that. She's mm. lived with the pain of this. Uh, even when I talked to her, here it is again, 47 years later, and she's choking up talking about it. And it was something where she had a letter from Ravi. Yeah, she had a letter from Ravi that she had reached out to him and and uh, tried to get him to take responsibility. And he denied it, but um, he did have an opportunity to respond when he was alive. And he chose to deny it and to deny that, that this ever happened. And yet... Um, I think more and more we're learning to believe victims. Yeah. Yeah. And Julie, we're thrilled that you're going to join us for another segment. I just want to ask you really fast with like the last 30 seconds or a minute we left having this in this segment. Has this Ravi Zacharias story been the most surprising to you of all of these stories you've done? Has this been the most heartbreaking or surprising as you've gone through it? Boy, I, d- I don't know that I can even quantify them. Um, certainly, he had the biggest stage in because he was what the the greatest apologist of the 20th century is what uh, Mike Pence called him at his funeral. So it, it is it is shocking. I think the extent to which uh, he seems so wonderful in in one on stage and yet not in real life. That's yeah, it's it's a shock for sure. It was for me and I'm sure to a lot of people listening. Yeah, so that's Julie Royce, your investigative reporter. Also, uh, she runs the Royce Report. I want to pull back just for a second, then maybe we'll get back down to it again. But I want to pull back a little bit. Uh, if anyone who knows your work knows that, that you've been reporting now for years about kind of abuse and power and celebrity uh, and all sorts of abuses within the evangelical world, uh, pastors, authors, whatever else, as I've kind of become, you know, read this stuff, it feels like there's more now. There's more abuse. There's more falling. There's more all of it than there was before. Do you think I'm right about that? Is there more of this happening? And if there is, then then why do you think there's more? Well, I think there is and, and there isn't in a sense. I mean, I take some comfort in the fact that Jesus told us that there would be wolves um, in the sheep yeah. pen, right? I mean, he yeah. told us to beware of false teachers. And I think I think what's been really shocking lately is that it's not the people we thought. Like we all thought, mm-hmm. yeah, there'll be wolves and we'll know who they are. Right. And yet we're finding out it's not the people we thought they were. It's people that, that were part of our tribe. Right. It wasn't just the prosperity preacher up on stage, you know, the Joel Osteens or whatever. It's people that I looked up to that I thought, you know, that were orthodox in their teaching. That's what I think has has been kind of shocking. I think is there more? uh, Brian, I think we're, we're really seeing something come to fruition that has never been here before. And that is people who are appointed spiritual uh, teachers and preachers and you know, respected in our community, and yet they're not really tied to a church per se. It's yeah. 
they have a platform. They have a lot of Twitter followers and yep. they've yeah. been able to um, publish a lot of books. Like a lot of people said with Ravi, what church did he even belong to? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was on the road all the time. Who was he under? Whose spiritual authority was he under? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you have these celebrities now, celebrity pastors, mega churches. It's all just kind of a new and I would say uniquely American phenomenon because we mm-hmm. love our superstars. And and we also have this entrepreneurial spirit. Right. So people start a new ministry and all of a sudden they're they're launched. And it's not like the old days where you used to become a spiritual leader because leaders in the church recognized and saw over time your character and your gifting. Now, right. it's really just gifting a lot of the times. And we have these mm-hmm. rhetoricians that are wonderful at speaking and drawing in an audience, but they're not necessarily have the character to go with it. And so I think we have a unique um, and unique problem. And yet one that's, you know, sin has been around forever and we've had false teachers forever. Julie, I think that is a crucial point in all of this. Um, you talked about how some of these quote unquote celebrities just aren't under any sort of spiritual authority. What church are they under? Who is holding them accountable and who is pouring into them? And I feel like that's such an important question. If these influencers are not connected to a local church where over the course of their lives, people can account for their character, that's a red flag. And we need to start paying attention to that. Yeah. And and almost all of the people that I've reported on or organizations where there's been corruption or or abuse, they all had boards as well. Mm. And so they had this 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 sort of veneer of accountability. And yet when you look at their boards, their boards didn't hold them accountable. Their boards, for example, Ravi Zacharias, who was the chairman of the board? Ravi Zacharias, who was the vice chairman? Mm. His wife, Margie Zacharias, who was one of the directors, the CEO, Sarah Davis, his daughter. I mean, Mm. (laughs) you wonder, why would a victim of Robbie Zacharias Mm. go to the board when it's controlled by his own family? And these Mm. are the sorts of things. Even right now, I'm I'm going to be launching a series uh, at the Roy's Report on good leadership. What does it Mm. look like? Because I think we don't know how to be board members. We don't know what a board should look like. We don't know how, you know, some of these characteristics of being independent so that they can actually provide accountability for the people that they're supposed to provide accountability. Instead, they're rubber stamps half the time or they're disengaged. And that is a real problem. Yeah. And so, Julie, I'm curious, what would you advise to people? Let's take the church world. Let's take the churches uh, to build a healthy culture so that there's not a celebrity or somebody who can abuse power. What, What are some steps that churches can take to make sure it's healthy and that this doesn't happen within their own church? Sure. Well, again, most churches have boards and those elder boards need to actually provide accountability, but there also needs to be transparency. And this is something I keep pushing for. It's it's why I report. And usually I report on organizations that aren't providing transparency. And so somebody needs to go and discover what the truth is and then report it to the public because the public doesn't know. All these mm-hmm. donors are giving and they have no idea. But I think for churches... They need to be transparent. How do you spend your money? How? What is, and then people, this, people get really squirrely about this, but I think people have a right to know what the salaries of the top yeah. of the pastor and the, and the top people in an organization, how much they make. If you're a secular nonprofit, you have to file what's called an IRS 990 form. You have to report everyone who's on your board. You have to report um, how much the top executives make. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, 2015, pulled away from being 
uh, uh, just a secular charity. Well, they, they were classified as such, and they became an association of churches. Why did they do that? Because they wouldn't have to file 990s. So they stopped saying wow. who was on their board. They stopped saying how much the top executives were making. And it turns out the Zacharias family was making a lot of money. They had LLCs mm-hmm. set up that bought the house for Ravi Zacharias. I mean, it was th- these sorts of things. I don't think when people were donating to Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, they had any idea. The same thing with our churches. We need yeah. to really think this is not our money. This is mm-hmm. the Lord's money he's given us to steward. And the people mm-hmm. who gave us this money have a right to know how we steward it. I remember James McDonald used to have a saying that people told me, was that the the business of the church is not the business of the church. That mm. is a lie. The business yeah, of the is. church is the business of the church. And the leaders, yeah. if they don't get that, then they're not understanding what the church is because it belongs to everybody who's a member of that church, right? The priesthood of believers. So leaders don't yes. have a right to treat it that way. That's so good, Julie. Such a good word that we need to hear and, and do some examination, mm-hmm. I think, of all of our our own souls and our industries and our systems as well. Yeah. Julie, we're thrilled that you've been with us. Can you tell us, tell people where they've, they've listened to you? They're like, man, I want to read some of this stuff. I want to read more. You talk about this new series you've coming out. Where can people read uh, your writings? Where can they find you online? Everything that people can get from you, where can they find you? It's all at the Roy's Report, which is Julie Roy, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. Uh, that's where you'll find everything. Or you can reach me on Facebook at Reach Julie Roy's or Twitter. That's my, my handle as well, at Reach Julie Roy's. And again, that's spelled R-O-Y-S. Great. Well, Julie, you've been a good friend of the show. As we joked, you were here the first day that Ian was Ian and I started the show, and now you're here the first day that Ian's not here. Uh, <laughs> so a nice little bow put on here. But again, Julie Royce is a veteran investigative reporter, founder of The Roy's Report, uh, host of The Roy's Report podcast. Uh, and so, Julie, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, good to thanks catch so up. much, Julie, thanks, for being Julie. here. Well, thank you, Brian and Aubrey. Good to be with you. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. Well, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, thanks for doing this. We're getting through your first show. And uh, yeah, we're I almost said we survived. We got to get through this last segment, not get ourselves fired yet. But uh, yeah, we made it. This has been fun. We made it. It's been fun. I mean, we didn't mess around like we no. kind of went into the deep end, but I'm here for it. I, th- I thought we, we've done a good job. I feel like we both deserve little trophies for today. <laughs> At least for participation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Aubrey is going to be joining us again tomorrow. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Join us again tomorrow from four until six. And one of the things that Ian and I started doing during the pandemic for all of you out there is we've tried to take the last segment of our show and try to either provide some inspiration, some good news, something to put a smile on your face or something to make you think, uh, something to make you think. And with that in mind, uh, I I wanted to just read this. Uh, Let me start with this uh, tweet from Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan Lehman is at Nine Marks, uh, also a, a pastor uh, anyway, he's at nine marks. Jonathan Lehman wrote this on Twitter uh, just the other day, February 12th. He said, a refrain I'm hearing more and more from pastors is this. I'm having a hard time keeping up with the catechizing power of social media on my congregation. Hmm. He says, I don't think there's a silver bullet response yet. Three vaccines. He says, we're mixing metaphors here today. Help <laughs> a church be less vulnerable. One exposition, expositional preaching. 
uh, easy for me to say that's thought, <laughs> that's that's thoughtfully applied individually, corporately, culturally to a, quote, thick congr- congregational culture where the word reverberates through our fellowship and relationships all week. And three, a culture of gospel centered sanctification grounded in grace and striving to keep God's command. So uh, Lehman's at nine marks. If you know anything of nine marks, they have a very uh, specific uh, kind of belief set and, and way yeah. they do church. But with that yeah. in mind, I'm wondering, uh, we try to spend a lot of time on this show talking about social media and that idea that social media uh, is catechizing our people. Mm-hmm. It is forming our people. And so, A, I'm wondering, do you feel like that's true and increasingly true? And B, he gives some of his quote unquote vaccines to help with this. But what are some of your ideas to kind of combat in your church, in your family, to kind of combat the catechizing power of social media? Yeah, I I mean, <laughs> that's a great, I have not thought about it. I have thought about it as like discipling, but essentially that's what catechizing is, right? It's catechizing, right, right. Our, giving them their beliefs and their doctrine. And that's so true. Um, yes, I would agree that social media has the power to do that. And right now it seems to be the power that's doing mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it's something for us to step back and think about. Um, do I... I'm trying to think of what would the vaccine sort of be. I always tend to think community, right? Like let's do the Christian life with one another. So we're not doing it online solely. We're not um, getting our, our pastoral wisdom and our discipleship strictly from people we don't actually know in real life, but like the Christian life is a communal life. So let's do the Christian life together in each other's living rooms and in each mm-hmm. other's driveways. I mean, not right now while it's freezing cold, but like, let's do life together. I think that's a, I think that's a big vaccine against mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing is, I mean, I'm just thinking this from a pastoral, like preacher perspective. Um, you know, if you think about Paul in is Acts 17, where he's in Athens and uh, you know, he's, he's commenting on, kind of the cultural things that are happening in the city of Athens. I see you worship these unknown gods, but I want to take that worship and I want to say that is an awesome thing, but let's point it to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder if there's some wisdom in that, that as pastors and preachers, we can uh, see what our people are being catechized by and say, okay, I affirm that you're longing for Jesus, but I want to take in this direction with that instead. Because the answer I don't think is to go, no social media whatsoever. Right, right. That's just not realistic. Uh, but what bridges can we build to the culture with the gospel using social media and like get our people to think critically and again, not to be, <laughs> to be discipled by people they actually know and are in relationship with? What do you think about it, Brian? Yeah, I like your no social media at all thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> On some days, it has been hard, to be honest. And you know this as a pastor. Uh, during this, not just COVID, but also this tense political season, we are yeah. in some ways still in, but at least yeah. we're past the election and everything. Uh, this has been a really hard time to pastor a church uh, when you're not seeing people and people yeah. are saying crazy things online. I've been yeah. I've been very open about this with Ian uh, on the show, that I've been heartbroken by some things that I've seen mm. people within my church be willing to post about or comment yeah. on. It's always the comments, right? It so is always the comments. Yeah. What they're willing to write on a comment or the way they're willing to vilify people within their own church over yeah. political stances. And we talked yeah. about this earlier in the show. 
so it has been hard. There have been days where I've just gone, man, if, I would be so much happier if, if Facebook and Twitter and Instagram totally. just went away tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we also know that that's not going to happen. And so I think a great answer, to be honest with you, is to use a transition. And you said he's a friend of yours, but uh, there was an article up at the, uh, the Gospel Coalition uh, about a book written by Brett McCracken mm-hmm. uh, called The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. And I found this fascinating. And hopefully, especially knowing he's a friend of yours, we might have Brett on at some point. Definitely. Uh, but he wrote this. Uh, he said uh, this basically this is a review of his book. And it says McCracken demonstrates that if we truly want to be shaped by godly wisdom, we must discipline ourselves to manage our information intake just as we manage our food intake. So he's talking mm. about like a food pyramid. Yeah. And he says the foundation of the pyramid, the source we should consume most often is the Bible. The tip of the pyramid, what we would ingest most circumspectly, includes the Internet and social media in between. McCracken considers the place of the church, nature, books, and beauty That's as good. sources of wisdom. So I, I, I look forward to talking to him because I love that imagery of a pyramid, not saying we're going to get rid of social media, but also as Christians asking, what, what role does social media play in my life versus the Bible or versus community or versus yeah. a good book. When's the last time I read a good book versus right. Facebook or something? Right. right. Uh, so how let's close with this, Aubrey. What would you say? Because I think this is hugely great wisdom. It's called the wisdom pyramid. What would you what would be one or two things you'd say to the person out there who's like, I don't know, I, I'm borderline addicted to social media. And I haven't <laughs> read my Bible in forever. Or yeah. or I've I at the very least have this pyramid inverted. Right. Uh, which what, probably is true for a lot of people. hundred percent, myself included. So what would encouragement be to somebody who looks at their own life and goes, Yeah, that's a mm. great description of me? So I I mean, you know, my my kind of gut goes to, okay, really, if you do feel like you're addicted and really if the the pyramid is upside down, then probably, hey, Ash Wednesday starts tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Take a fast from social media for Lent. Do it. Uh, I, I took a Lent or took a social media Sabbath this summer and it was freeing. Yes. I mean, I'm telling you my soul, my heart, things just got realigned. And um, so I, you know, that's real practical. I don't know if that's encouragement for people because I'm sure people are like, I don't want to do that, but I would do it. I would take the apps off your phone so you're not tempted. That's right. And just start with those 40 days and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what is your invitation for me? I am tempted right now. I want to go on Facebook. I want to go on Twitter. I want to see what's happening. But (laughs) I'm going to go to you instead. I'm going to go to your word or I'm going to go in prayer. I'm going to turn on a worship song or I'm going to look outside at the snow. (laughs) And if you can't appreciate the snow, appreciate your beauty in the snow. (laughs) Lord, meet me in this place. And I I think that uh, kind of habit of faith over the next 40 days Mm -hmm. would um, probably do some restoration for your soul that God wants you to do. Yep. And there's the word of encouragement we want to leave you with. Like, take an honest assessment of your life. Like, and I'm guilty as anybody going, yeah, social media kind of trumps everything in mm-hmm. terms of these other influencers. But we have to know that social media is playing that sort of role. Uh, in that as Christians, as uh, Brett McCracken says here, uh, what's the foundation for us? What is the foundation of the pyramid to use his imagery and in, in scripture uh, is uh, what we are called to. So you can find this article. It's really good. Find it up at our Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter at 
common good talk. Well, Aubrey, I think we made it through a whole show without saying anything that's going to get us fired, I think. Hopefully. Hopefully I didn't just cost you your job there, Brian. (laughs) People will know if A, you're on tomorrow or B, if I'm on tomorrow. That's right. They'll they'll find out. Tune in to find out if Aubrey and Brian are back. Exactly. So join us tomorrow from four until six. Until then, we hope you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.